Hey, Teresa, why were 25 letters banned from medical school? I don't know. Why? Because the doctor is in. It's manners. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmeeners. It's Extraordinary Etiquette. For Ordinary Occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. What do you think of my joke? I just made it up on the spot. I'm really proud of it. Do you get it? Because in right. is both a word, mm-hmm. but also a letter. Yes. So the doctor is in. Yeah? I mean, it it works. It plays. It plays. It plays. Listen. It plays. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to give me my own hour-long stand-up special. <laughs> No, it's but not. But I'm getting there. Hi, everybody. This week, we're talking about uh, doctor's visits. And so this is, I like to give a little context. I have a couple stories. Can oh, I you talk do? Okay. Stories? Yes. So right. one, um, I was diagnosed with ADD when I was like 10, right? And it's it's probably different now, but for a long time, it was hard to find anybody that like, specialized in ADD, let mm-hmm. alone acknowledged it is a thing. Or I guess I switched those, but um, especially in Huntington, West Virginia. So my pediatrician actually was like a specialist in ADD too. Like it's what he had focused on, uh, whatever. And so I continued to see my uh, pediatrician until I was like 22. Mm-hmm. And then at like 22, I was like, I'm, I'm a big boy. I am an adult now. <laughs> I am tired of sitting in waiting rooms full of highlights magazines <laughs> and bead mazes. So I'm going to go see a different doctor. So I went to see a different doctor and I started it off saying like, you know, I'm, I'm, I need a prescription for, for, uh, well, at the time it was Concerta. And the doctor said, oh, okay, well, I'll write the prescription this time, but I don't believe in ADD, so you'll have to go somewhere else to get your prescription. So I went back to my pediatrician after that for a while. Yeah. That was that person is a fart. <laughs> um, but now we have a great doctor here in Cincinnati that I thoroughly enjoy. Um, and, and I enjoy his office and he sees the whole fam family. It's great. Right. Well, um, I I too, from a very young age, practically birth, um, have asthma. And so I am very familiar with going to doctors' offices dealing with insurance companies, um, you know, trying to live my life while medicated. I will also say this is a thing. I wish I could go back in time to younger Travis um, because there were numerous times. Now, one of the lessons I've learned now as older Travis is like when it comes to making appointments and doctor's visits in general, um, both physical and mental health, it was a thing that I used to put off, mm-hmm. mostly by telling myself, like, uh, this is probably fine. This is pro- this will pass. This is probably nothing. And then what would happen was it would usually escalate into something that was like, 
oh, if I had gone in earlier, this wouldn't have been as bad. Mm -hmm. Luckily, nothing ever too serious. But, like, one time I went in and I was like, yeah, I've just been feeling... And I was, like, shaking and, like, running a really high fever. And I was like, I've been feeling bad for a couple of days. And the doctor was like, oh, yeah, this is mono. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool, 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 great. Um, I actually had a very similar experience with mono where I wasn't actually feeling poorly, but my lymph nodes were very swollen. Um, and I just thought... Wow, that looks terrible. I'm going to wear a turtleneck. <laughs> yeah, right. Especially, I will say, especially with mental health, I didn't start seeing a therapist until BB was born. And that was, what, I was 32 at that point? And this is, remember, I am a person who, like, has had ADD, diagnosed ADD since they were 10. And, like, my mom passed away when I was 21. And, like, there's been lots of opportunities for me to see therapists. And I just kept telling myself, like, I don't know. This is fine. I can deal with this. I can deal. That's not how that works, right? Mm -hmm. If you're running a fever and throwing up, you wouldn't be like, I don't want to be a bother, right? You'd go to the doctor. So I'm a big proponent now, and I just wanted to mention it here at the top. I'm a big proponent of health, the whole person, and not just the physical, but also the mental. It's okay to make appointments with people. If you're just feeling like you need one, you don't need a really good reason, right? That's a thing. Maybe it's my Midwestern sensibilities. I don't know. This idea of like, I need a really good reason to do it. Right. And that's not how that works, right? You get eye exams. You get checkups. You go to the dentist to get your teeth cleaned at least once a year. You should do the same with mental health. You're supposed to get your teeth cleaned twice a year? Well, I said at least once oh, a year. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, I go twice a year now because of another thing. <laughs> Quick body warning, uh, body horror content warning. I woke up one day in the middle of the night and my gums were just bleeding. So yeah, I go to the dentist now eight times a year. <laughs> I'm at the dentist right now as we speak. What a liar. No, well, clearly I'm not at the dentist, Teresa. That is not a lie so much as it's just a funny jokey joke. Um, but yes, so doctor's appointments are very, very important. So we wanted to talk to them because I also recognize, as we have said... That it is a thing that a lot of people feel uncomfortable doing. It's a very vulnerable scenario, right? Absolutely. And so I we wanted to talk about it on this episode because I can very much see where not just like uh, etiquette, but also like knowing the right way to talk to this professional about your health mm -hmm. can intimidate a lot of people away from going and getting things taken care of that they need to. Right. So we wanted to talk about it. But first, how about some history? All right. Well, so one of the things about doctor's offices, doctor office visits even, for a long time, doctors didn't really have offices outside of their home or even hospitals. Um, and so what doctors usually did was they made house calls, right? So you had the kind of village or sit or like town doctor and when you needed them um you sent for them uh-huh and they came to you and because like of, a plumber a little bit like a plumber like a body plumber sure have doctors ever been called body plumbers did you find that anywhere i did in not your research i didn't find that it's not too late now <laughs> we'll get started that now um and so doctors really had to be prepared for everything they had to know a little bit about all the stuff that they might encounter so illness um wounds 
childbirth, death, uh, like surgery on the go type thing, um, amputations, stuff like that. So they had to know about all of those things. So they were called general practitioners. Okay. Your GPs. Your GPs. Um, And they took pretty much everything that they needed with them uh, in one of those doctor bags. A valise. Is that right? That's the right word. No. No, the valise is the thing. It opens on the top. Oh, I'm going to look it up. You keep talking. I will be vindicated. All right. Valise. Um, and so... Oh, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, it does say a small traveling bag, but then it says, or suitcase. Uh, I'm getting images for both. We're going to say we're both right. So the doctor bag that you're thinking of is the one that has a kind of large, flat bottom. Like me. (laughs) (laughs) And the mouth of the bag opens up a lot like you would think of, um... Almost like... A mouth? Uh, sure. Yeah. Like a mouth. <laughs> and it stays open on its own because it's got a hard wired um, outside edge. I am actually oddly familiar with these because of our years of doing feeder. Like, there's lots of doctors in, in any, you know, sl- even slightly period piece. Right. And so that was the thing. I think we had like six of those at the theater. And one of the reasons why these were preferred by doctors is because, one, when you pick it up, it stays pretty much the same as when you have it on a desk or or the floor or whatever. So stuff doesn't get shifted around. Stuff doesn't lot, get yeah. shifted around, especially like you think about how thermometers, the, the most basic of tools, used to be a glass tube with mercury in it. You wouldn't want that rolling around in the bottom of a bag or you wouldn't want everything to like roll on top of each other when you picked it up. Right. These bags could also be locked very easily. Um, and because of the hard wire Because thing, of the hard wire okay. thing. And it was very difficult to get into them if they were locked. So these bags were used most often by doctors. And like you said, they're very easily recognizable as a doctor bag today. I also can picture, maybe these are older, right? But I know that they're almost like toolboxes, right? Where you open them up and like the drawers fold out. But I bet that those were heavier and not right. as, as Not as mobile. easily portable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for a very, very long time, these G- these GPs would do their house calls. But things started to change around the end of the Second World War. Um, not only were there more like professional buildings going up with the advent of like the suburbs versus the city, um, but also medical science advanced enough so that a lot of doctors begin to specialize. I, I also am willing to bet, once again, Travis McElroy, armchair sociologist, social, uh, cultural historian, whatever, <laughs> is that, you know, baby boom it probably became less practical, the idea of one doctor going to see everybody, like, on on their route. You know what I mean? There were probably a lot more people, and it made a lot more sense for those people to come to them rather than the doctor spending travel time going around. I, I can see that. Yeah. But, uh, this is my suspicion, and I assume everyone is tweeting at me right now to tell me how <laughs> right I am. Thank you very much. But in any case, the idea of specializing began to to pervade doctor societies, right? Um, 
So the GP, although it does exist, at one point, 40% of all doctors were general practitioners. Okay. And it is much less today. I read statistics as low as 1% of doctors are GPs. Huh. You know, on the one hand, I think there are there are benefits and negatives to that, right? Because I think the benefit being when someone specializes in something, they know it a lot better. I mean, that's that sounds almost dumb to say because, of course, but like when you have a dermatologist, right? Mm-hmm. They know more than someone who knows a little bit about everything. Right. But it also means that you're having to visit a lot of different specialists in order to get maybe even just the same illness taken care of that has a lot of different symptoms. Right. Um, and that means more money. And it means more time and it means more appointments. And so I could see where there's uh, negatives and benefits to it. So then um, let's talk a little bit about once the house calls stopped. Okay. Uh, So what you would see in a typical doctor's office, um, usually doctors operated either out of their home or a small outbuilding on their property. And in in other places they may be you know in a town setting they might be like the second floor above a store or or something like that um but they were typically one or two rooms so exam room and waiting room might be in the same room but that started to uh kind of fade away as people expected more privacy in Mm -hmm. their exam Um, So even if it was someone, if it was the doctor's home, like the front two rooms of like the parlor, uh, that would, one would be the waiting room and one would be the exam room. But the exam room was only really that because it had a table in it for one to sit on. But it also usually contained um, like the doctor's desk, the doctor's books, um, maybe their anatomical like skeleton references mm-hmm. um it wasn't uncommon to see actual human bones in a doctor's <laughs> a doctor's office which isn't something that we we see now i mean every once in a while i'll be at a doctor's office where i see like a uh, plastic model of something and that's weird enough as it is i don't want to know what my stomach looks like well actually i do let's be honest i do want to know specifically what my travis mcroy stomach looks like i don't need to know what a general stomach looks like you know what I mean. Right. Um, and I s- want to see my own organs. <laughs> Not through surgery. I, it would just be cool if somebody would be like, look at this picture. That's your heart. I think that would be cool. I, I, I want to know what's going on in there because nobody knows. I mean, if you think about it, nobody knows what's going on inside the human body. We're all just guessing. That's what I want to talk about today on this episode about doctors. All right. Um, so once we hit like the 1930s, Doctors' offices started to change when they had offices, um, which was actually really a result of the practice of asepsis. Of what? Asepsis. Asepsis. Which is the prevention of infection by maintaining sterile conditions. Oh, okay. So instead of having the doctor's office in the exam room, like his actual like desk and books and papers and such like that... Um, Things became a lot more, like a lot less cluttered, obviously. Um, and the the design of the furniture 
really started to come about as more practical. So instead of like a table and a desk and a stool and things like that, you end up with the kind of um, the more, I mean, I, I want to say sterile, but utilitarian, utilitarian. Yeah. What we picture now. I mean, like picture a doctor's office, right? There you go. Where you have like a simple chair at a simple table, probably with a sink, maybe a biohazard disposal thing for sharps. And a trash can, like, rarely have I ever walked into a an exam room and thought, oh, this is a well-appointed exam room. And oh, look at that bearskin <laughs> rug. Like, that doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. No. Um, so a lot of the medical equipment of the time were metal with a white enamel coating. And I think that that whiteness of the doctor's office is something that we've come to really expect because it, it feels kind of sterile yeah it gives off a they i i think that that maybe it's psychological there might also be a practical sense to it right of like white shows dirt you know if you walked in and like the white you could tell if it was dirty easier Mm -hmm. if it's everything's all white maybe that would be my logic um and so then at this point uh like i said these sort of rooms this this change was probably no longer in a doctor's home. This is more we're talking about like the outbuildings or an office building, maybe the second floor above the store type deal um, where you could have a lot more medical equipment that was kept under better conditions. Well, that sounds like a good thing. I'm on board with this. (laughs) Um. And so then what we come to is the doctor's office of today, right? Where you'll... Welcome (laughs) to the doctor's office of today! Where you usually, you'll walk into a waiting area and be greeted by a receptionist who may or may not have medical training as well. Um, And you will often be handed forms to fill out, which usually are more for like insurance purposes than mm-hmm. they are for like exam although you usually history. especially if it's your first time you'll get like a medical history of like does your family have yeah yeah for your for your file or whatever um and then when you are called back you'll be led down a hallway that will have multiple rooms restrooms exam rooms offices um nurses stations things like that and you'll be usually set up in an exam room um sometimes you will have a medical assistant or a or a technician or a nurse who will take your vitals so your uh blood pressure your temperature your height your weight um and then they will usually take a kind of overall general thing about what how you're feeling why you're there I will say that is a, a good rundown of like a, a physical medical doctor. I will say that when I, I just from my experience, I don't have as much experience with physical doc, whatever therapist. I go and you fill out these chart these like on a scale of one to five. How is this? How is this? How have you been feeling? Have you been feeling especially anxious? Right. And that way it's kind of a generalized rundown mm-hmm. where the questions are general enough that. You can't overthink them, right? Right. And then go in and sit down. And most of the time with my therapist, it just become it starts as a very general conversation of just like, so how is everything? How are you doing? Right. And then 
it's like if you run your hand over something and you can feel like a bump, right? Like if my therapist hits a bump, they'll go a little bit deeper into that. But very rarely do I sit down and lay down on a couch and the therapist says, so how's your anxiety? <laughs> that doesn't happen. Um, and then uh, in a in a, a physical situation, the doctor will come in and you'll discuss a few things with them. Um, and usually you'll make a follow-up appointment if, if necessary or they will, you know, order specialist um, instructions or maybe write you a prescription um, or maybe put in orders for a blood test or a urine test, things like that. I, I also say, and we'll get to more advice in the second half, but I have a helpful tip here. Old man Travis McRoy has been to a lot of doctors and I have a helpful tip because this is the thing I worry about when I go to a doctor's office for an appointment is I often worry that my description of symptoms will mislead the doctor, right? Like, for example, the mono thing, Mm -hmm. I went to a doctor prior to that doctor who's like, oh, this is mono. And the first doctor... I mentioned that I was feeling nauseous and they're like, oh, it's the flu because I said nauseous Mm. and no other symptoms I listed could change their mind that I was nauseous. Right. And so they were like, oh, it's the flu. So here is my tip. If you find that your doctor takes what you say at face value every time, and it's nice to be believed by your doctor. That's not what I mean. A doctor who jumps to quick conclusions instead of finding their own conclusions, maybe I I would not continue seeing that doctor because that is a worry. I, I'm not a medical professional. I don't know what's the symptom and what's not. I don't know what matters and what's not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I've walked out of doctor's appointments and thought, oh, I forgot to mention this, right? And, like, what you want is a doctor who ta- who takes in the information you give them, really listens, lets it land, hears it, right, and then makes their own conclusions. That's my what I look for in a doctor. That is my uh, what I look for as well. But I also have the advantage of my mother was a was a nurse, an RN, um, and so she taught me some really helpful tips of how to kind of prioritize. I'm not telling you that uh, you're just going to tell the doctor what they want to hear so that you get what you want. But what I am going to say is some symptoms are are more are more heavily weighted whereas like okay, say that you have a headache, okay? Just a regular headache. That is something that can be caused by a million different things. But if you have body chills, right, and a fever, those take precedence because the fever is most likely something that is indicative of one or two things, whereas the headache could be a million things. So you need to prioritize the way that you talk to your doctor so that you can distill down what it is wrong with you. So let, we'll go more into advice and we'll talk more about these. But first, let's do a thank you note to our sponsors. Schmanners is sponsored in part this week by Zola. We've mentioned Zola in the past, but listen, 
you need to know about Zola because Zola is reinventing the wedding planning and registry experience to make the happiest moment in a couple's lives even happier. Step right up. Step right up. Sign up for Zola today. Okay. <laughs> uh, this may come as a shock to you, but Teresa and I are married. I know. <laughs> but here's the thing. When you are getting ready for your wedding, you have so many things going on. And especially in this day and age, when it comes to wedding registry... We're in the 21st century now, and it can be a very surprisingly high-pressure situation, right? Because you have some relatives who want to, you know, give you, you know, a set of plates like they got, and there are people who want to buy you big ticket items. And if you're like us, we were living together before we got married, so we already had a lot of that stuff. There's a lot going on when you're thinking about your wedding, wedding registry. But with Zola, they make it so easy. You can create a free wedding website. You can register at their store and so much more. And they have the widest selection of gifts for every room of your home and at all different price points. They have over 500 top brands from KitchenAid and Cuisinart to Sonos and Airbnb. And here's one of my favorite things about it. They have a deal where, like, if you want to do a big ticket item, like, say, a couch, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you wouldn't feel comfortable with one person getting you a couch because it's a pretty big ticket thing multiple people can go in on the same item and that way like they can split it and get it for you it's a really great system very cool i i'm a big fan of it so if you want to sign up with zola and receive a 50 dollars credit towards your registry go to zola.com slash schmanners that's z-o-l-a dot com slash s-h-m-a-n-n-e-r-s we're also sponsored in part this week by Prep Dish, which is a healthy subscription-based meal planning service, uh, which is designed to help you save time and be efficient in the kitchen. So what they do is they email you this grocery list, right? And the grocery list has everything you need on it to make the recipes that they'll send with you with it. Um, and they have all kinds of substitutions available, gluten-free, dairy-free, paleo, you, and they give substitution suggestions. So if you don't eat chicken, uh, they have fish suggestions, or if you don't eat pork, you can replace with turkey, things like that. Um, and so they've, they've itemized everything so that you can know exactly how to prepare and what to make ahead of time for your meal planning for the week. Um, and some of these recipes are fantastic. Things like uh, smoky paprika chicken legs with a trio Ooh. of roasted vegetables. Oh, that sounds delicious. Or turkey and zucchini lasagna. Ooh. That's something that I'd be very much interested in. I can't wait for that one. So you can let Prep Dish do your meal planning for you with really great recipes and detailed lists for grocery shopping. You're going to have your meal planning done in just a few hours in the weekend, and you can eat all week. So you, go, you can go for a free two-week trial to prepdish.com slash schmanners. That's P-R-E-P-D-I-S-H dot slash S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S. It's a no-brainer. Hey, everybody. Hal Lublin and Mark Gagliardi from We Got This here to talk about our upcoming live shows. Why don't you tell everybody the details about our show in Philadelphia? Sure. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go down to Philadelphia Improv Theater, okay? You're going to do it on Saturday, June 23rd, okay? There are two shows. 
One is five o'clock show. There's an eight o'clock show. At eight o'clock show, you can get a VIP ticket and hang out with us at 7 p.m. for like a whole hour. We'll sign something for you. You can hang out. You can talk to us. And then come see a show. Both shows are going to be completely different now. Both shows? Both shows are going to be different. Here's I sounded the, like a British actor trying to do a Philadelphia accent. Yeah. You, you can look up Philadelphia Podcast Festival. You can look that up and get tickets there. Or you can go to Philadelphia Improv Theater to the Fit Theater, P-H-I-T, uh, and you can get tickets there. Or you can just go direct at bit.ly forward slash we got philly 2018 that's w-e-g-o-t p-h-i-l-l-y 2018 we've all made mistakes in book club right you drink a little too much you don't actually read the book and if you're under the bubble in fairhaven your individual will get subsumed by the collective. Hey, maybe I just let him go and whip us up some guac. We do not require guac. We require only nutrients and expansion. You will become book club. You will eat, pray, and love with us. Join book club. Bubble, the sci-fi comedy from MaximumFun.org. Just open your podcast app and search for Bubble. Okay, so we have a lot of questions here. This one is from Amanda. What is the best way to assert yourself with a doctor who isn't listening? We reached out to our friend, the, the doctor, Dr. Well, Sydney McElroy. My sister, our <laughs> sister, the doctor. And she had some really great insights about this um, subject in particular. One of the things that she suggested is that um, as a patient, even as a young person, uh, she suggests that you have intimate knowledge of your own medical history, what you've been on as far as like medications and um, your own sort of catalog of what you've done with your body so that you can have the confidence to assert yourself and this gives the doctor a very complete look at you as a person so that they are more apt to listen to you. Yeah, um, so I, I, Travis McRoy, am a very confident person. But, <laughs> however, uh, I will say that this is a thing that I run into when speaking to anyone that I view as an authority figure on a subject, right? So, for example, I made a joke about plumbers earlier. But if a plumber comes to our house, even if I know what the problem is and I've diagnosed the problem with the plumbing, I tend to revert back to this like, uh, I don't know, maybe it's it, right? Because it feels weird pretending like I know what I'm talking about to somebody who knows what they're talking about. Certainly. But if but, you have the knowledge, that knowledge is power. So that's the thing, right? The, what There is a difference. And we've talked about this before when we've talked about like... For example, telling someone you don't want something and being like uh, establishing that you are being honest and not asking for them to ask you for it again. And that is if you go into a doctor's office and say, yeah, I mean, it it feels like maybe I might have the flu. Right. That that doctor is going to take it that you don't know and you're guessing and you need them to tell you what is wrong. But if you walk in and go, here are my symptoms. I believe I have the flu, 
right? And you say it with confidence. If you respond with confidence, people will respond in kind. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And so I think it is important that if you want to assert yourself, there is a balance between that kind of voice and also going, it's the flu, right? (laughs) Don't do either one of those because they are both off-putting in different ways. But I think just saying, here are the symptoms that I have and I believe that it is this, right? And so that way the doctor might say, oh, well, I understand why you would think that, but here's what I suspect, right? And it's I think it's okay in that circumstance for it to be a bit of a conversation because mm-hmm. you are going to a doctor and the doctor... Unless you are also a doctor, probably knows better than you. But this is a very important thing. There is a difference between a doctor that disagrees with you or a doctor that brings different information versus a doctor that dismisses your concerns. Absolutely. Um, This is another question from Amanda, I'm betting, related to that first question. And I know this because Amanda starts the question with, related (laughs) Is there a good way to fire your doctor? Can you just ghost or do you need to tell them why? Um, Sydney was very clear on this point, and this is something I absolutely agree with. You can just stop going. Um, There's no explanation. People come and go all the time. The doctor isn't going to feel slighted if you don't go to them anymore. Um, And I would suggest that you be prepared. So... um, Make sure that you have enough of your prescriptions, if that's what you you take, if you have those, um, to get you through for the next doctor appointment because there may be a wait time for you as a new patient, for a new doctor. Um, And once you find a new physician, you should call your old doctor and have them send your medical records over to your new physician. Now, there are places um, who will not charge you for a personal copy of your medical history. Um, But it is a a lot cheaper in most places if you have them send it electronically. Um, But as always, it's your medical history. So anytime you want a copy of your medical record, it is within your rights to have it. So you can ask for it and they'll give you one. Well, they'll sell you one. (laughs) Yeah, this is a thing... I'm going to be very careful with how I say this and very clear how I say this, right? Because it can get tricky. But something that I often try to remind myself is that doctor and medical professionals is a service industry, right? Like they they work for you when you go, right? You are not an employee of the doctor. You, you They work for you. Yes. Now, it's important in keeping mind, like, I I would never do enough research, me personally, enough research, even things I'm very confident in in my own medical history to feel like I know better than a doctor. But that said, you are not bothering the doctor by making appointments with them, asking for your medical records. They are your medical records. You know, asking for an appointment, all of these things, that's how that works. You aren't mm-hmm. being a bother. Um, it's just something that I try to remind myself of because I think like, oh, I don't, oh, I don't want to take up their time. No, when I'm there, they are working for me. That is how that that relationships work. Once again, I'm not saying that like you work for me, <laughs> but just more of like 
you know, they aren't doing me a favor by seeing me. And there are lots of doctors out there. And I know that it has gotten a little more difficult um, in these times of um, of healthcare not being as um, as widely available as it once was. Um, and so you may need to find another doctor like in network. Um, but there are lots of doctors. I mean, even in the same practice, I went to an um, OBGYN practice that had what, like seven to 10 different OBGYNs. And certainly I had my favorites, um, but I was required to see each one of them at least once so I could get to know them, yeah. right? Um, so within the same practice, you may be able to switch if you just don't gel with their personality. Um, and no one is going to fault you for trying to find a doctor to help advance your health because it is your health and i i bring this up because the next question this is from charlie if i remember something i wanted to ask about that isn't what the visit was originally for is it rude to bring it up should i make a different appointment my doctor has extremely long waiting list for appointments but i don't want to waste her time or her patient's time and this is a great example charlie because like you're there for your appointment believe me if they need you to leave they will let you know i have never Felt like I was overstaying my welcome at the doctor's office. But it's your health, and if you have a health concern, that is not wasting their time. If there's something you need to talk to a doctor about, it, it, like even if it adds time onto your appointment, your doctor is there for your concerns and for your health. So like I would say you're not wasting their time. Here are a few suggestions so that, one, you don't feel like you're wasting their time. And two, you're not taking up a lot of their time uh, that they haven't allotted for your appointment. So I would try and limit your doctor's visit to one or two things um, and put the thing that is most urgent first. Don't say you're going in for, I, uh, I think I have a cold, and then talk about how, well, my toe's been broken for three weeks at the very, very end. Do the one, the first one should come first. That way, it'll get the most attention and the attention that it needs. Um, if it's something very small at the end, when the doctor says, is there anything else you'd like to talk to me about today? Some Adding something small in at the end, as long as you don't expect it to, you know, take another half hour or whatever well because here's the thing there are two things that are going to happen right you're going to or i guess maybe three thing one is you bring it up and it's the doctor says yes that is very important we are going to deal with that right now thing two the doctor says okay yeah that's definitely something we should look into let's make another appointment or thing three, the doctor says, oh, yeah, well, that's just this. I don't think you should be concerned about it. Right. And if but you... What, what's never oh. going to happen, though, is the doctor being like, how dare you bring that <laughs> up? Um, and another thing that if you have a lot of things to discuss with the doctor, talk to whoever made your appointment with you, the receptionist or the medical tech or whoever, and let them know you have several concerns. That way they can block out a couple of different time slots. 
slots for you. Um, and if you have a very long list or a, a lot of concerns, you can even ask for a consult instead of an exam. Um, a consult usually runs about a half an hour. That's a big block of time. Now, you may need to wait uh, a little longer because consults aren't usually available same day. Um, so you'll have to to make the appointment further in advance. But if you tell the receptionist or whoever makes your appointment, um, they can help you out so that you can get the time that you need. Uh, this question is from Fiona. What is the best way to explain all the things that have been bothering me without sounding like a hypochondriac? And I will say, Fiona, I very much relate to this because this is a thing that I will often talk myself out of bringing up concerns or out of going to the doctor at all, that idea of like, this is nothing. What helps me is I will write down a list of stuff on like my phone or something where I can say, these are the symptoms I have observed. This is when they occurred. You know what I mean? And so, because sometimes what I end up doing if I don't do that is saying like, I kind of had a headache, you know, and that's why I get that shruggy voice right? that makes it sound like it's not really a big deal, but I'm worried about nothing because in my head, I'm thinking I'm worried about nothing. And so then it reads to the doctor like I'm worried about nothing. It's a vicious cycle, right? I think it's better to say these, this is when this happened. And, you know, I, I also, like Teresa was saying, prioritizing your uh, symptoms and the things that are most troubling is a good way to not feel like you're a hypochondriac and say like, you know, I'm feeling nauseous and I have a fever. That's probably more important than I'm a little bit tired because you could probably attribute the fact that you're a little bit tired to the fact that you are running a fever and that you are nauseous. right? Right. So that helps me. And don't be afraid to write stuff down while you're in the doctor's office. If it's anything more complicated than here, take this prescription and do what it says, I write it down because going to the doctor can be a very overwhelming thing. Um, And so writing things down can really help you, you know, take the time that you need outside of the doctor's office when you you may not have uh, (laughs) been able to, to listen or comprehend as well. Uh, this question is from Ziggy. I think this is going to be our last one. Is there a good way to correct a doctor? I'll do a lot of research before a visit, and I occasionally have info my doctor doesn't seem aware of. But knowing their extensive training, it's uncomfortable to say, I read a thing on the internet, no matter how well sourced. Um, this is another question that Sydney was so gracious in talking to us about. Um, she thinks that it's just fine to share what you've learned with the doctor. Um, but then what you need to do is make it more of a collaboration, right? So you can have this information and you could be well informed, But the experience that a doctor brings to the table is also important as far as that goes, Um, especially since the Internet can be a little misleading at times and offer very general solutions or too specific solutions. This is also a thing. And even if even if your source on the Internet is impeccable, you might not have known the right thing. Thing to look for right? right this is a thing i will say especially like so when Teresa was pregnant it's a very nerve-wracking time and everything that seems even a little bit off we would leap to the internet right and you could find 
a thousand different people telling you to be worried about it. And then you go to the doctor and the doctor's like, no, this is super common. Don't be worried about it. Right. Right. But it was because the things we were looking for, we found them because we were looking for them. Mm -hmm. So I think that this is uh, a great example of knowing the difference between a doctor who disagrees with you Uh versus a doctor who is dismissing your concerns. Right. And I think that if you bring this information to the doctor and the doctor's like, oh, see, okay, but here's the thing. It could be that, but because of this and this and this, I suspect that it is this. That is different than a doctor who's just like, no, no, you're wrong. Right? So, like, I think it's important to tell that difference. But also... And I think Sydney said this too. If you feel like your doctor is dismissing your concerns, this is where the idea of a second opinion comes in. Absolutely. Or to see a specialist about the thing that you're concerned about. But once again, this is another, without being a jerk about it, this is a time that I would remind you that the doctor is working for you. And so I think that if you feel like the doctor is dismissing your concerns, I think it's okay to assert yourself and say, I am very concerned about this and I would like tests run on it and or I would like you to write me a referral to a specialist. Right. And if they they then double down and say no, then I would say definitely seek out a second opinion. But yeah, I, I think that knowing the difference between disagreement and dismissal is very important there. Absolutely. So I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, I am very excited to say that next week we are going to do our dating episode with a focus towards the LGBTQ plus community. Um, We have a guest coming on, maybe two, um, to provide some perspective and different points of view from our own. So if you have questions about that, you can tweet them at us. We'll put up the, the, you know, the tweet looking for questions and get those in. Um, let's see what else. Go check out all the other amazing MaximumFun.org shows. There's a whole bunch on there, um, including the new podcast sitcom Bubble, which I think episode two just went up. Um, me, Justin, and Griffin are in episode, I don't know, three or four, I think. But anyways, we're coming up in a, a future episode. So make sure you get caught up now. <laughs> um, also this weekend, if you're in Cincinnati or nearby, we are doing another Cincinnati Underground Society show. It's a secret society style comedy show where I bring in this this time uh, six surprise guests. And you're not going to know who they are if you don't come to the show. And people aren't allowed to tell you what happened to the show if you don't come because it's a secret society. Um, and if you want to get tickets to that, you can go to bit.ly slash June. Well, no, cuss June 2018. Uh, it's going to be Sunday the 24th uh, at 8 p.m. here in Cincinnati, Ohio uh, for $15. You can also just like search hashtag cuss on Twitter and you'll probably <laughs> find it. Um, let's see. Who else? Who do we thank? We always thank Brent, Brentlefloss Black, for our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are sold. We also like to thank Kayla M. Wassel for our Twitter thumbnail art, and you can follow us on Twitter at SchmannersCast. And then um, we like to thank Keely Weiss Photography for the picture over our Facebook group, our fan-run Facebook group, which you can join called Schmanners Fanners and join that group for polite discussion and advice from other fans. And I think that's going to do it for us this week. Join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners Schmanners. Get it.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.